All right, so let's just jump into this real quick. I want, I want to talk. I, I think it's so important right now. Uh, you know, it's easy to have hope when things are going good in your life. It's easy to have faith when things are going well, and those generally are not the times that you need it the most. We need hope the most. We need faith the most when uh, we're in trying and difficult circumstances. It's easy for anybody when the lights are out, when it's dark, when things are dark out, right? It's easy for anybody to go and say, oh, it's dark out here and yell at the darkness and scream at the darkness. And uh, I know a lot of people are feeling out of control for a lot of different reasons. Um, it's interesting to watch the uh, ideas going around out there about what's happening, um, who may or may not be colluding, who may or may not be conspiring. Uh, for me, I've, I've seen this for 30 years um, or more, at least. I remember even you know my mom and dad talking about some things back in the 70s or 80s. And uh, I've yet to see a single time, a single scenario where things uh, panned out like people who were writing books or, in this case, people who were making proclamations on YouTube. I've yet to see it pan out that way. So I don't want to get sucked into that vibration. I don't want to lower myself down to that. I let myself get sucked into it a little bit. And I uh, had a very wise individual that I talked to who reminded me that the energy that we send out is the energy that we get back. Uh, Jesus said the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And I was already starting to see some of that uh, energy being measured back to me. So I want to come back to this place of rising above the circumstances and coming into a place of real hope and real faith. So I want to talk about the two aspects. Uh, for those of you that wanted a Mother's Day message, I apologize. Uh, I've never been one to, to do those traditional type things. I gave a shout out to all the moms earlier, if you're just logging on. Uh, but I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about faith and hope, hope and faith. So what is hope? Uh, let's start with hope. Now, part of the problem that we have with hope, or part of the problem that just that we have with the future, is that we kind of tend to approach our future like we approach the weather. Uh, we're hoping that all the forces will come together. If we're planning a picnic or planning a, let's say we're planning a family reunion, we try to pick a time period in the year when we think it'll be nice. Um, you know, you would expect the 4th of July to be nice, right? But we've had several uh, 4ths of July in the last uh, few years that have been cold and windy and rainy and had sleet and hail and all that stuff. So you kind of set a plan and you're hoping that the weather will cooperate with you, but you don't really know. That's how a lot of people uh, plan for the future. <laughs> Some people don't even go that far. For some people, the future is more like a horse race or uh, uh, some kind of a sporting event that they're gambling on. And uh, maybe they know something about the horses they're betting on, and maybe they don't. They're just hoping. They're just picking one and hoping that things work out just right. And the problem with both of these is it puts you totally at effect. It puts you totally at effect and can leave you in a place where you are basically powerless, right? And where you're just subject to whatever wind is blowing or whatever is going on. Now, there is a, a teaching out there that the all time is happening simultaneously. And, and I understand philosophically the, the argument for it. Uh, that we live, you know, in these bodies, we live in a three-dimensional world of time and space. That our minds perceive time, but that when you step outside of that realm, then there is no time, and therefore everything is happening simultaneously. Now, that may or may not be true, but I will tell you this, that doesn't help me at all 
at all at all. It doesn't help me in my day-to-day living to think like that. If anything, it confuses me, and I'm not able to get my mind around it. Now, that could just be that I'm not as enlightened as some people, but to me, it's the same old fatalism of Calvinism that the future is predetermined, uh, the same old fatalism as uh, prior to Calvinism, people who believed they were victim of their stars, of the astrological charts, that the future was determined by the astrological forces. And so, again, we find ourselves at this place of effect and not really being able to effect the kind of change by putting ourselves at cause that we want to. And so, again, I want to talk about and emphasize shifting from effect to cause. So if we think about the future this way, if we think about our present moment as the sum total of all the choices and events and vibrations and thoughts and feelings and everything that we've put off, put out uh, in the past has brought us to this moment. Then when we stop and we look at this moment, if we can think about the future as infinite potentials and possibilities that have not come into existence yet, that literally have not happened yet, that the future is not set in any way, shape, or form, that there is no form of prophecy that actually sees the future and then uh, says this is what's going to be because the future is not happening and the future hasn't happened and the future is yet to be determined. So the best that divination can do is... Uh, or prophecy, the best that that can do is look at potential possibilities, look at the current um, s- uh, s- energies that are playing out in the invisible arena that are beginning to create and manifest and, and give form and manifestation to a future event. And so in that sense, then, prophecy can be a warning or it can be a promise uh, of blessing. It can say, here's a potential blessed, promised future for you. Here's a potential dangerous future for you. But ultimately, you have some influence over what happens. It's not set in stone. It hasn't happened yet. I think that's a much more empowering way to think about time and a much more empowering way to think about the future. And it feels so much better to me. So that's that's my presupposition. So hope, hope is always good, right? If we're thinking about the future and it's not good, then it's not hope. If it's bad, then it's worry, right? And so hope has to do with a good future. So I want you to think about, but it's always in the future. It's never in the present. It's never, it's never manifested in the three-dimensional world of time and space. It exists as a future potential possibility of something good happening for you in your life. And so it's not this, uh, like, like if you, if you bet on the horse race, you can be hoping and praying and wishing and hoping, but you're still at effect. I'm talking about hope that's different, that, that you can create, you, you can say, this is what I want, this is what I desire, this is what I choose, this is what I think would be a positive outcome for me. And so I'm going to set my sights and set my focus on doing what I can to be at cause to manifest and create that future and have it happen for me so that I'm not a victim of everything else that is going on around me. But hope is always in the future. Now, uh, faith, I, w- I want to look at a you know familiar passage of scripture from Hebrews 11, and I'm going to show you something. I'm going to read it from the NIV first, if I can find it. Um, I think it must be in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> um, Hebrews 11, 1. And the New International Version says this. It says, Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for 
and the assurance of what we do not see. Now, I want you to think about that definition or description, the confidence of what you hope for. So then, if, if hope is in the future, and faith is the confidence in what we hope for, then a person who tries to get into faith is simply trying to believe, trying to become intellectually persuaded, intellectually agree, that something is going to happen for them in the future. So let's say that um, my hours got cut at work, which they did. Um, let's say that financially things aren't like they used to be, which they aren't. And let's say I have some concerns about uh, financial needs or whatever. So according to this definition, I can hope for my hours to come back at work. I can hope for a raise. I can hope for a different job. I can hope for multiple streams of income. Or I can just hope for a general uh, idea of abundance. Increase financially. Let's just call it that. So I'll decide, okay, that, that's, that's good. I think that'll be good for me. I think that's good for us. So I'm going to put my hope in financial increase. <clears throat> now, if I attach faith to that, then I'm going to hope God, the God outside of me, is going to bring that financial increase into my life. And then I have to be persuaded that he, that God is going to do it. And so most people approach faith by trying to believe that God is going to do something. <clears throat> Now, we got a little more sophisticated in the, the Word of Faith movement, some of us, and we realized, uh, well, you know, whatever God's going to do, God's already done. You know, whatever God's going to do about your healing, God's already done it. Whatever God's going to do about saving your old ugly Uncle Fred, God's already done it. It was settled at the cross, at the finished work of Jesus. So we started saying, well, okay, well, it's already done. So I just got to believe that I that I have it. I got to... Um, but, but the thing is, we came at it with the same kind of consciousness, so, okay, I have to become fully persuaded that I have something that I don't have yet. And that was a little bit closer to the truth. <clears throat> but it was still based on this definition of confidence and assurance. Now, I'm going to read it to you from a different translation, an older translation. I think, I, I've never heard anybody teach this. I've studied this out, and I've never, to, to my shock and awe, I've never heard anybody else teach this. And it's so revolutionary and so simple and so powerful in, in terms of changing things. So I think you'll, you'll appreciate it. <clears throat> in the New King James, or the King James, or the older translations, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, how do we go from substance and evidence to confidence and assurance? And what is the difference, and what does the word substance mean, and what is the Greek word that's actually there? So let's start with the Greek word. The Greek word that's actually there, and some of you have heard me teach this before, but the Greek word that's actually there is uh, uh, hypostasis. Hypostasis. And if you look in your Strong's Concordance and your Vines Dictionary and all that stuff that preachers use, which is absolutely worthless in my opinion, I mean completely worthless, because it doesn't give you enough information about the language. But if you were to look it up, it would say it's that it's something that stands behind something else, like a foundation. That which stands behind something. And that's simply taking the two roots and putting them together. Hupo being behind and stasis meaning to stand. So it's that which stands behind. And there is some truth to that etymology. 
But let me, if you want to translate it assurance and confidence, let me throw something at you. The writer of Hebrews uses the same word in a different passage. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, talking about Jesus, it says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. The word person there is the exact same word, hypostasis. So how come he, he, he says that he's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his confidence? Express image of his assurance? Express image of his believing that something in the future is going to happen? Obviously, that's not the case. So it's talking about the essence. Here it's talking about Christ bearing the divine essence, the divine nature, the divine character. So hypostasis in the classical Greek, in order to understand it, you have to go back to some of the teachings of Plato. Now, prior to Plato, it's my understanding that the Western world was, it, it was, it was fairly barbaric, right? Before the, the Greco-Roman time period, you just had, uh, very much moral relativism. Everybody's just doing what's right in their own eyes. And Plato's the first one, really, that we know of that comes along. Maybe he probably wasn't the first one that thought it. Pythagoras, I mean, all those guys kind of go together, and I'm not an expert in Greek philosophy. So I may get some of my facts wrong. But, but essentially the idea became, that there existed in the realm of abstraction or in the realm of consciousness. I want to say the realm of the mind. It's nous in the Greek, but mind isn't like like we think about mind. So I'm going to use the term consciousness. That there exists in the realm of consciousness for everything in the natural world, everything that we see, there is a correspondence in the invisible world of consciousness. So that's where you get the hermetic axiom, as above, so below, as within, so without. We're going to work with that a little bit. As above, so below. As within, so without. It's the same kind of thing. Same kind of thinking. And so the the classic example from Plato is that you have a triangle that you can see. And then in the realm of noose or in the realm of consciousness, you have the abstraction of a triangle. Or in the invisible world, you have the archetype of the perfect triangle. This is the perfect. This is the one by which all other triangles are measured against. And that archetype, if you will, uh, exists in the hypostasis. It's the, it's the triangle that stands behind what you can see. And so, so, uh, the belief was basically this, and you'll find this in almost every ancient culture, that there is this web of energy. It's the best way I know how to describe it. Um, if you want a really good uh, modern understanding of this, get Greg Braden's book on the Divine Matrix, because he does a really brilliant job with this. But there is a substance. There's an invisible substance or energy, uh, a material. Uh, in fact, the hypostasis was the prima materia. I'll talk about that and explain that a little bit more. But I'm trying to give you the idea of an invisible essence or an invisible substance or an invisible energy that stood behind everything that was created. And this web of energy was conscious. It was accessible to us through the news, through our own minds. So again, as within, so without. So, so there's, if I were looking at my computer from this perspective or my phone from this perspective, then it has an animated force behind it that is a conscious force that is keeping all the atoms and everything together and making it work the way that it's supposed to work. And that conscious force behind it would be the hypostasis. Uh, Plato called this the anima mundi, the, the, the soul of the world. So you can think about it that way, the soul of the world. Now, alchemists, if you're familiar with alchemy, 
the idea behind alchemy was that you could take a base substance and transform it through a series of steps into the highest substance. And they, they rated metals based on what they considered to be base or common or raw material, and lead would be at the lowest end of it. And then they would scale it up, um, iron, mercury, I don't remember how it goes exactly. And then the highest one would be gold. And so the goal of the alchemist was to be able to take the lead and change it into the gold, uh, bypassing the millions of years or whatever it would take for those metals to break down and change form. And so the belief that you could manipulate physical reality was based on the belief in the four elements, earth, wind, water, and fire, and then the belief that there was a fifth element, the quintessence, that stood behind a substance, an invisible substance that was conscious, that stood behind or within the material that you were trying to change. So if I wanted to change lead into gold, then I would have to be able to work with the element, but I'd also have to be able to work with the quintessence. I'd have to be able to work with the the, the soul of that thing. I'd have to be able to work with the invisible essence or substance of that thing that is standing behind it. And if I can change something about it in the invisible quintessence, then it will change form from lead into gold. So the idea of alchemy was if I could work at the level of the hypostasis, then I could magically transform this base substance of lead into this valuable substance of gold. So the philosopher's stone of the alchemist, uh, the, the, the secret key that they had to find in order to turn lead into gold was the key to working with the quintessence which is what I believe Hebrews 11 is talking about. It's talking about the key to working on the invisible plane in order to change things on the physical plane. And it has nothing to do with being persuaded that God is going to do anything. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You're being invited into that world for the purpose of bringing about or co-framing or co-creating the ages. So let's read on Hebrews 11, 1. And I'll go a little bit more into how this works. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then verse 3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Now this fits perfectly with the idea of substance. That God worked with the invisible substance, he worked with the, the quintessence, he worked with this field of energy and consciousness that that existed first. And then out of that thing, he created the things that we see. So if the things that we see did not come ex nihilo, like the theologian tells, out of nothing. It came out of this web of energy and consciousness and substance. And God framed the worlds. Now, the word for worlds there can mean the physical world, but it can also mean the ages. And if you go down through the rest of the chapter, he talks about various different ages or epochs or periods of time. So we're being invited here as, as, as readers, as followers of this, to say let's operate in faith and hope to set the frame 
for the age. And this, 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 this is what bothers me about a lot of stuff that's out there right now. Because we have a lot of people that are operating at a very low vibration, at a very low level of consciousness, and without any insight or enlightenment about spiritual things and how they work at all. Or if, if they have any, it's very, very shallow. And, and, and we're still living from effect, watching all this stuff play out on a grand stage, wondering what's going to happen with, with the coronavirus, wondering what's going to happen with things opening up or not opening up and who's controlling what and who's conspiring with whom and all this stuff. And what we don't realize is that we are called by God. Our responsibility and our job is not to look at what is and, 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 and prophesy those frames. Because we're framing our world, we're framing our future, not just for ourselves, but for, for generations to come. We are living in an incredible time in history. We are living in a time that the history books will be writing about for, for centuries to come. Uh, your, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren will be learning about this in school. Your kids will be telling it to their kids and their grandkids. This is a major time in history. And we've got to be careful about what we're framing. What are we framing for the future? What are we setting up in the world? What kind of energy and thought and input are we putting out into there? Is it connected to hope or is it connected to fear? Is it connected to love? You know, the Bible says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, these three shall abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So there are three eternal things, according to 1 Corinthians 13, that we can operate in. Two of them right here, faith and hope. And so we're being invited to reframe what's going on. Not to support and stabilize what's going on. Not to try to interpret what's going on. Not to try to figure out what's going on and how we play our part. We are invited to become co-creators of the framing up of the age in which we live. And what we're being told here is that we can do this by hope. We can decide, hey, I want a better future than what we've had. I want a better future for myself. I want a better future for my family. I want a better future for humanity. And that's going to start by staying on a positive vibe. Hope is always positive. It's always positive. So the moment I get off that positive vibe is the moment I disconnect from faith. I mean, well, disconnect from hope too, right? I meant to say hope, but faith and hope is the same thing. So we have to zero in. We, 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 instead of saying, you know, this is what's going on and looking at cause and effect in the normal way, we have the opportunity, like God, to step into a realm of chaos. Because that's what the future is. Uh, to step into the realm of the invisible substance and energies of things that could potentially come into being which is a world of complete chaos. It's going back to in the beginning where there is darkness we cannot see. We have to be willing to shut our eyes to what we see. We have to be willing to go back to in the beginning God. That's the invitation. That's where maybe the, this idea of past, present, future all being one, because because in the beginning is not a demarcation of time, it is a place of origin. And the Hebrew mystics tell us that God has been creating and recreating and recreating and recreating the world. At every moment, every moment you're being recreated, every moment things are being reestablished, because it keeps going back to in the beginning. And so what we're being told is we can go to in the beginning. Now think about this. In the beginning, uh, it's without form and void. It's empty. It's formless. Darkness is over the face of the deep. But the Spirit of God, I think that's that hypostasis, is hovering over the face of the deep. Watch the elements. Watch the elements in play, the alchemy here. You have earth. You have water. The word for spirit can also be translated wind, which is where you get the air. 
Then God says, let there be light. There you have fire. But here's the key. God said the consciousness and the word is the quintessence. It is the fifth element. See, the philosopher's stone of the alchemist, what they figured out was, before we can change in the physical realm, lead into gold, because as above, so below, as within, so without. Until I can change the base material here into the gold material here, I have to do it within myself first. The philosopher's stone is actually the consciousness of the alchemist. And the alchemist had to learn how to work within himself and work within his own consciousness to change that which was base and common into that which was absolutely rare. So I'm going to say this right now. If your consciousness is going along with the mainstream and what everybody else is saying right now, if, if, if you are not a voice, if you are just simply echoing and repeating what everybody else is saying, then you are very common in your consciousness and you're operating at a place of lead and you will not have the goods to frame a future that's based on a hope. Because something has to change in our consciousness. Something has to rise up within us. And so what I'm saying is, let's go back to the place where it's chaotic. Let's go back to the place where it's dark. Let's go back to the place where it's uncertain. And let's quit giving form and and frame to it based on what has been. Because you're operating from the past. If you believe things got here the way they did because of however you believe it, I'm not here to challenge what you believe. You could absolutely 100% be completely right, completely correct. Whether the virus came from a bat or it was engineered in a, in a, in a lab in Wuhan, whether it was planned 10 years ago or, or it's just a spontaneous crazy thing, it does not matter. You're operating from the past. You're operating on a false basis of cause and effect. And, the, and, and here we're being invited into something else. We're being invited into the future. You're being invited to close your eyes to all that, forget about all that, and move forward into the future. What do we want the future to look like for our kids and our grandkids? What do we want it to look like in this age? And in that place, we have the creativity of chaos, the creativity of invisible substance, the creativity of of multiple potentials. So to bring it back to a personal level, if I need an increase in finances, there's multiple ways I could do this. I could hope that things improve at, at the university, that enrollment actually goes up. I could look in the past and I could say based on data, whenever there's problems in the economy, uh, usually enrollment in universities go up. When, when the economy goes down, it's usually a higher time for uh, universities. So there's a good potential possibility there. I could look at what kind of stuff can I do online in terms of charging for classes and coaching and counseling and all that. There's that possibility. How might I be able to invest? Uh, if, if certain markets go down, like the real estate market or something, could I buy some houses uh, and, 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 and rent? I'm just trying to throw out a number of different things, right, that could possibly happen. See, that is an infinite realm of potential possibilities. And then I'm invited to survey that realm, to, to enter into that chaos, to enter into that darkness, and then begin to think, what do I want to create for myself? What do we want to create collectively? And begin to dream and begin to think about the good things that could happen. The moment I do that, I'm actually beginning to operate already in faith. Because what faith does is faith takes this invisible substance, my consciousness, my mind, my feelings, your consciousness, your mind, your feelings, can step into this chaos of invisible consciousness And by your intention, by your thoughts, by your imaginations, by your feelings, you begin to become the sculptor, if you will, of your future by working with 
the world soul, working with that substance of what you hope for. Because as long as long as it's just hope, it's just it's just one of any infinite possibilities. The job is to consciously shape that hope and bring it into the present moment. The the job is to consciously think that hope and bring it into the present moment. The job is to consciously imagine that hope and bring it into the present moment. To to feel that thing. To see that thing. See, if I want to bring it into the realm of the physical manifestation, I have to see it in my mind first. If I want to be able to see it out here, i got to see it in here first. If I want to be able to hear it out here, i got to be able to hear it in here first. If I want to be able to feel it out there, i got to be able to feel it in here first. If I want to be able to touch it out here, i got to be able to touch it in here first. Using my mind as the work desk, using my desire, using my emotion... That's why if, if you study the, I, I hate to even bring up tarot cards because I'm probably opening too many cans of worms, but if you look at the tarot card, you have the, the magician, the magician card in the right of weight, he's got one hand up like this, which is pointing up to the quintessence or the life power or the power of God. And then he's pointing down towards the earth, or actually I think it's reversed. He's pointing down towards the earth. And the picture is that the magician becomes the lightning rod. The magician becomes the channel through which the creative power of God to frame the future begins to operate and to flow. And then on his table, he has four instruments or magical weapons, they call them, which are represented by the four suits. He has a wand, which represents the life power and desire. He has the cup, which represents the emotions in the heart. He has the sword, which represents initiative of thought. And he has the pentacle, which represents the grounding in the earth. And all of those things are elements that are within himself. His own thinking, his own feeling, his own desires, his own initiative, and his own ability to ground and bring something into the earth. And so it's a beautiful picture, really, of faith because what it's saying is that your toolbox, your weapons for manifestation are your desires and your passions, your thinking, your feeling, your initiative, and your ability to take action and ground it in the earth. It's, it's a holistic approach. It's a holistic approach. So see, this makes faith something very, very different than, well, I'm hoping God's going to do it. Well, I'm just a hoping. I, I, I know it's going to happen. I, oh, God, I, I believe you, God. I believe your word. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I believe your word. I believe you're going to move. I believe you're healing. See, that, that, that's, that's based on a faulty translation. That's, that's you not doing anything. That's not you being a magician. That's you being a beggar. That's not you being a framer or co-creator. That's you being a slave. That's you being at the whim of somebody else's will, having no power to affect change yourself. And I really believe that God gives us the possibility of creating things, uh, whatever it is. And, and understand that with every benefit, there's a burden. We, we, the, I think the other thing that's important, and, I, and I'll quit with this, understand, I, I'm totally convinced this dualistic idea that there's a complete realm of good and a complete realm of evil only exists in the minds of men. That there is just things that just are. They are just processes. 
And one of the things that I mentioned, a, a friend that helped me out, gave me tremendous wisdom this week to help me raise my my level of consciousness because I was getting sucked into some stuff. And uh, and she said to me, you know, don't enter into judgment. Reminded me, don't enter into judgment. Because the moment I judge something as good or bad, I'm moving into that dualistic frame. The moment I judge something as good or evil, there's an emotional charge that goes with it. And it's usually an emotional negative charge. And so when that emotional negative charge, it just it just pulls you down. So here's what I'm saying this. Uh, this idea that there's a perfect will of God out there and God is just, you know, going to going to bring about something that is only good is completely false. That's why Romans 8 has to say God works all things together for our good. Because <laughs> this stuff that's out there, it just is. It just is. And there's not really an evil outcome. There's not really a good outcome. There's just outcomes. So when you're working with desire, don't ask yourself, is this a good outcome or is this an evil outcome? Ask yourself, is this an authentic, <laughs> is this coming from the depths of my soul, from the depths of my being? Is this an authentic, true desire? But then realize whatever you begin to work with in that realm, whatever you impress constantly in your mind over and over again in image, in thought and feeling, is giving form to your future. You're impressing it on that invisible place and and giving giving form to your future, to what's going to show up. You're calling it to yourself. But for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So I could be sitting here saying, I need to bring in more money, and I can manifest all these different things, and then I can find myself so busy that I don't have time to enjoy anything. I'm working for a living rather than, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm living to work rather than working to live. Living to work rather than working to live because I, I wanted the more and I put it out there and I manifested the more. And now I had to give up more time with my family, more time with myself. Now I'm exhausted. Now I'm not as healthy. I don't have time to eat right. I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to exercise, but I got the abundance I was after. I got the abundance I wanted to create. Oh, yeah, but there's also this. So if we can understand that good and evil are blends, so that for every evil thing that happens, there's an equal and opposite reaction of good. For every evil thing that happens, there's an equal and opposite reaction of good. For every good thing that happens, there's an equal and opposite reaction of evil. It plays out in our lives, too. So every time you change something in your life, you got to be ready for uh, the tilt-a-whirl. Because <laughs> it's going to tilt and shift your life. And so maybe you want this, but oh, you got to let go of this. And so that's why you have to be a wise master builder in these things. Um, that's why I think you pray for guidance from spirit and... And, and that's why I think we get help from heaven and from above. Uh, it's not that we're not to be doing these things. It's not that we're just supposed to sit back. But it's that we are to become wise in the way we apply the laws and the principles of faith. And I believe now is the time for us to do it. So if you don't get anything else out of this, please get this. Please, 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 please stop living as an effect of everything that's going on around us. Stop immersing your, your consciousness in what was. Don't even immerse your consciousness in what is. There's a difference between being informed and being infiltrated. <laughs> 
There's a difference between knowing what's going on and being transformed by what's going on. So I want to invite you to, to close your eyes, to look into the blackness and chaoticness, chaos, chaoticness, is that, I invented a word. Look, look into the chaos of the future. Realize it's not yet formed, it's not yet filled. But you have the opportunity, you and I have the opportunity to act like in the beginning as the voice of God. To begin to frame our world with our words. To begin to frame our world with our ideas. To begin to frame our world with our actions. And again, this is a holistic thing. So I'm working with all the elements on the table. I'm working with my thinking. I'm thinking about what is this going to change? How is this going to affect the ecology of my life? If I start doing this, what do I have to give up? Am I, am I okay with that? Is this something that I truly desire? That's why I said it's so important that you realize the desire is coming from a place of authenticity. And is there an emotional punch to it? Because if it doesn't have an emotional punch, it won't be sustaining. That's your want. Then uh, the cup. I've got to be able to feel what this thing's going to be like. Uh, Neville Goddard said the feeling is the secret. Greg Braden, who studied spiritual traditions around the world, he said you got to feel as though you have the thing before you have it. The feeling is the secret. The feeling is the key. What does it feel like when I have abundance? What does it feel like when my needs are completely met? What does it feel like when I'm healthy and able to do things again? Creating that emotion is working with the cup. And all of this is working on that level of hypostasis. And then the sword. i got to think about it. I gotta imagine it. Imagining it'll help you feel it too. But I also have to take intelligent action. I have to strategize. I have to think now, not based on cause and effect out here in the past, but based on what I'm creating. And then I have to act like it's true. I have to do the, I have to take the right strategic things. So you can be sitting there faithing, faithing, not, I don't have a list, but I'm not saying facing, faith, F-A-I, T-H-I-N-G. You can be sitting there faithing for abundance, but if you never get your resume up to date or fill out a job application, forget it. You can sit there being faithing for uh, healing, but if you're violating natural laws and you're not doing things that you need to do uh, to get your healing, you're not totally congruent. So you've got to bring some physical, some kind of physical form, some kind of physical something in order to bring it from that realm into this realm. So it's it's taking action. Uh, for some people, it is, uh, if, if, if you studied magic at all, it, it would be a magic sigil. That's how a magic sigil works, or a talisman. Um, it, it's something that grounds it. This is where the proper use of stones and crystals and whatever it's, it's a grounding energy because you're bringing things from that invisible realm of faith, that invisible realm of spirit. But unless you can ground it and stabilize it in this world, it's never going to manifest for you. So anyway, that's, that's all I had for today. I hope that was a blessing to you. I want to leave you with this. Uh, quit, please, please, just think about what could be. Think about what's not that could be. And let's, let's have hope. And then let's work as co-creators to create a better future. To, to stop framing and supporting the negative because I don't, I don't, I don't want that for my future. 
I don't want to be meditating on what's wrong and how dark and ugly things are because when I do that, I'm giving off dark and ugly energy and I'm at cause. That's my karma and it's going to cause it to come back to me. The word karma, you know, last thing, you know, karma is totally misunderstood. People say karma is a bitch, right? Um, karma is completely misunderstood because it's not this reciprocity thing. I mean, then you're just back to the Christian version of the judgmental God who's going to get you, which I think is total crap. Um, so now, you know, other people, well, they have karma over here. Karma is going to get you. Karma simply means to be at cause. So the patterns of energy in your life, the patterns of thinking and feeling and doing and talking and behaving will keep you in a cycle where you keep manifesting the same things over and over again. So you keep manifesting the same reality. You keep losing friends all the time. You keep going from one bad relationship to another bad relationship. You keep having financial failures all the time. You get to a certain level of success in your life, and you think you're right at that threshold and you're about to break through, and something pushes you back. That's karma. That's you being at cause. So when we're focusing on negativity and when we're angry and when we're upset we are sending that out we are working creatively to create more of that for ourselves in the future does that make sense so again coming back to the philosopher's stone coming back to the alchemist coming back to the magician coming back to the true person who understands the operations of faith you have to work with your workshop is your internal world and you have to be able to take those base energies of fear and hate and disgust and judgment and and strife and and powerlessness and hopelessness those that's the lead in your life and you got to learn how to take it through a process inside you that will transmute that it's energy you're not going to be able to get rid of it you just oh i want to kill it oh i want to kill it off that was our problem in the christian world i want to crucify the flesh i'm going to kill the flesh and it just created practically schizophrenia and narcissism and all kinds of mental illnesses and problems for people. It was not the abundant life that Jesus promised us. So the key is transmutation. The key is to be able to take those energies of our soul and take them through a process where we transform it. Jesus told his disciples, your sorrow will be turned into joy. Uh, Isaiah 61, I will give you beauty for ashes. I will give you the oil of joy for mourning. So there's a transforming, transmuting process that has to go on inside of us. So there's a lot of inner work involved with that. Didn't mean to make it too complicated. Basically, let's do this. Let's start with just hoping for a better something. Find something that you want. Start practicing this. Find something that you want for your future. Could be anything. Could be something as simple as a vacation. Realize that's a potential possibility for you. And begin to think about it and begin to work with all those things. Begin to work with your emotions. Begin to work with your thinking. Begin to work with your imagination. And begin to create that internally with the substance of mind. And then watch the synchronicities and watch how things come together to cause that thing to come into your life. I've seen this work for me over and over and over and over and over. I can't think of too many times it didn't work. And times it didn't work, I can tell you, I wasn't in the right place emotionally or I wasn't in the right place with that. Again, I don't want to give you the idea you can become an all-powerful genie and just, you know, do like Kenneth Copeland and blow the virus away. <laughs> I mean, talk about a God-Messiah complex on steroids. Um, you know, you're, you're not an all-powerful genie, but you do have power and influence over your own future and you are invited by God to become the framer and the co-creator of a better reality. And so with that said, uh, I'm going to sign off 
And I hope the rest of you enjoy Mother's Day tremendously. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in to watch this. If you're watching this later, thank you so much for watching it. I hope it was a blessing to you. I know I always say stuff that's provocative. Um, you know, I appreciate people that can handle that. I can handle that aspect of my personality. Uh, I know it's not easy to handle. Um, some of you appreciate it. Some of you don't. Um, but again, uh, sometimes we don't really change or transform until we're provoked. And so I just think some of us are out there to be provocative. Um, it isn't the funnest place to be. Sometimes it's, it can be very lonely. Um, friends will turn on you in a heartbeat. The moment you, they, you disagree with them passionately, they're, they're gone or whatever. Um, but anyway, those of you that hung, hung in there with us and those of you that take time to watch this, I love you, appreciate you so much, and hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Mother's Day. And... Uh, God bless you.